0: Hello everybody and welcome into the Apples and Genos Fantasy Hockey Podcast. My name is Naker Nibelink and I am the creator of Apples and Genos, originator of the Zero G draft strategy and contributor to Yahoo Fantasy. Today I'm going to be talking about projections and making sure you're getting the most value possible out of the projections that you use this draft season. Let's hit it. <laughs> All right, well, before we get started, I am gonna add just a quick disclaimer here at the top. I am going to talk about my beliefs on what forms good fantasy projections, what the quote-unquote correct way to do fantasy projections is. Uh, It's not my intent to call anyone out who does something a little differently or has a different take on the matter. I think the fantasy hockey community is better for having many sources of projections and insight. We can always learn from each other. But I do think that with the volume of resources available nowadays, it can be really confusing for fantasy hockey managers to understand which set of projections to use and how to kind of define that for themselves. So that's what I'm going to try to do here today. My personal take on that matter is, you know, some people might choose a set of projections just because of the number of followers that someone has, the number of subscribers, you know, the clout that they have in the fantasy hockey community. Uh, frankly, all that means nothing to me. I've seen projections from very well regarded analysts that I think are just bad. And I've seen projections from relative nobodies that I think are extremely well put together and very well rationalized, very good reasoning behind them. So, What you need to do is, and this will be my first point here, is to find a set of projections that are actually worth using as a base for your drafts. Uh, In my opinion, they should be easy to use and manipulate. They should have some method of self-evaluation, or you know, you could have your own method of evaluation that tells you if they're good or not, and then you should Also have some insight into their basic methodology so let's start at the beginning Uh, they should be easy to use uh, slash manipulate you know they just have to look something like what you can see on the screen if you're watching this on YouTube this is the apples and genos projections Uh, I've built out this sheet so that you can input your point settings right away it outputs them you can sort uh, by the number of points points per game all those sorts of things it's pretty self-obvious, intuitive to use. Uh, I've got some instructions at the top so that people can use them as easily as possible. This is pretty important to me that I provide uh, a product that's just easy to use, easy to read, easy to make sense of. So that's obviously important it obviously has to have the categories that you need uh you know it's not going to do you any good to only have points projections if you're in a bangers categories league so it's obviously got to have the categories that you're looking for otherwise you have to kind of stitch together various projections and you have to evaluate multiple different sources maybe that's something that you want to do but a lot of times i think people just don't have time for that so they're looking for kind of a single source uh to get all of these categories that they need for their leagues the second point there is to have some method of self-evaluation. If the person that you're relying on the projections for is not doing any sort of self-evaluation, then definitely, I think first off, that's maybe a, maybe not a red flag, but maybe a yellow flag uh, that you might want to consider. And if that's the case, then you definitely, I think, should have some sort of evaluation method for yourself where you can evaluate those projections versus others in the space. And that should tell you if they're any good or not, basically. This is why, you know, I do my own self-evaluation from my own projections every year relative to others in the space. Uh, I've published an article on this topic uh, this year and the year before, where I compare mine to Dom Lucision from The Athletic. Dom has a very complicated model uh, that he uses and gets input from all the beat writers for The Athletic uh, as to you know time on ice and things like that. Uh, I've heard him say that goes into that model. So uh, I think Dom has, clearly has a pretty defined process that he uses, and so I've been evaluating evaluating myself relative to him uh, for the last couple of years. Um, yeah, was fortunate enough this year to outperform him in a lot of ways. I also compared myself to Scott Cullen uh, this past season. Uh, Scott outperformed me on goals and I outperformed him on assists and overall points. Um, I can provide those analyses and how I came by them. If you're interested, uh, yeah, hit me up. I can show you that work anytime. I, I think it's kind of a core tenet of mine that I'll never hide my projections evaluations if they're not good one year, you know, if I've been fortunate, I guess, the, the past number of years that they've been quite good when I've done these evaluations. Um, but if they're not good one year, I think I need to ask myself what I should have done better, you know, Were there player archetypes that I consistently missed on? Team situations, was there a team that uh, totally outperformed my expectations or underperformed my expectations that I just totally misread? And is there something that I can take away from my projection misses that can inform my projections for the following year and help me to get better at this? So if you've heard... Uh, If you've been with Apples and Genos, I should say, and followed the podcast for any length of time, you've definitely heard me talk about uh, a continuous improvement mindset. It's something that um, I think everyone at Apples and Genos brings to the game is that we're always looking to get better each and every year. as we play tougher and tougher competition the edges get smaller and smaller and so we're constantly looking to find those edges and to yeah get better and and have an edge over our competition so that's something that i will continue to do and i'll continue to be transparent about that um as long as i'm doing this basically i think it's really important for me to be able to do that and I think it should be important to you that wherever you're getting your projections from you have some form of evaluation for those projections whether the person doing the projections is providing that and you agree with the methodology that they're using to do that or if you want to do it for yourself then that's another method as well I think the third point that you definitely need to uh, can contemplate anyway when looking at projections is you have to have some level of insight into the basic methodology behind those projections Uh, basically you have to agree with how they're going about generating those projections there are lots of different methods for doing projections there are you know completely math-based models there are some people who will sit down and uh, stare at a screen stare at uh, the roster um, do a whole bunch of things and uh, generate projections based on that. Um, the, one of the more common ones is a Marcel model, which is basically a weighted average of the preceding three years. Generally it's something like uh, 60% weight for the previous season, 30% uh, weight for the season before that, and 10% weight for the season before that. Um, that's a pretty common sort of model. Um, i personally uh don't don't think that it's the greatest way to do projections but i can uh, delve into that a little bit more Uh, for myself perfectly in a perfect scenario i should say i think each projection each person doing projections should separately define uh, even strength power play and shorthanded time on ice and then they should define what they think that player is capable of at each of those different game states. I think that's pretty important, to be honest. I I don't think that you can quite honestly, just go off an overall number, off an all-strengths number. You can get some base information off an all-strengths number, uh, but I don't think that if you're looking for the best projections, you're looking for the best that you can do, then I think you definitely have to think that the more granular that you are about these things, the better that those projections are going to be. Uh, Time on ice, at a minimum, must factor into any projections. If someone is not factoring in the time on ice and um, assigning some sort of value to the time on ice that they're expecting for that player, then um, yeah, I, I think that is a, a pretty big red flag, honestly, in my opinion, if there's no time on ice consideration whatsoever. Um, so basically, I think... If you disagree with the base assumption of the time on ice, like if you have that visibility and you disagree with the base assumption of the time on ice, then you know for yourself, you know, whether you personally want to change that projection somewhat. If if you want to bake in, you know, um, if you think that Maddie Beneers is going to see 20 minutes a night in Seattle this year, then you're going to want to know that because... If you're using my projections, he's nowhere near 20 minutes a night. Uh, So you're going to want to factor that in somehow, you know, whether that's a a mental change just for yourself to mentally think, okay, yeah, uh, he's got it for that. But I think for myself, I need to factor in, you know, a certain percentage upside because I think he's going to get way more minutes than that. That's something that you should be able to do or physically, you know, if you want to, you know, assign uh, the number value to the time on ice over the base projection that you think they're going to get then you just go ahead and do the math and and figure out what the new projection works out to you know this is really why blake and i did the projection series that we did where we went through every single team all 32 teams and we just told everyone what our assumptions were about each of these players, about each of these teams, how we viewed the teams, how we viewed the power play splits, all these things that actually really do matter for projections and how that informs the finished product. So that's why Blake and I did it the way that we do it. I think that's really important. Uh, I can't stress that enough, to be honest with you. If time on ice is not a factor in uh, projection set, then to me, that's a really big red flag. And I would not Consider those projections to be um, very useful or at least very repeatable. Even if they performed well in one year, I would wonder about their repeatability year to year uh, if they did not have any time on ice uh, assumptions baked in whatsoever. And then I would say I would like to know how this person makes adjustments to their base projection. So they all have some sort of methodology that spits out a base projection. Um, Do they have? make adjustments after the fact if they do why do they go back and make those adjustments are they looking at a point point total for a player and thinking hmm, that came out kind of low i'm gonna go back in and just kind of bump that up a little bit um that's just purely subjective reasoning at that point. And that's uh, another kind of red flag to me, honestly. If someone is looking at the output of their process and saying, I don't believe that, then the process in my mind should be adjusted, not the end result, right? Uh, so that's how I view it. Uh, in my case, I'm very confident in the process that I built over um, yeah, three years of doing projections. And If my assumptions are wrong, then I'll go back and change some assumptions, but I will not ever change my process. I will not, you know, just tack on two points because my projection seems low, um, I have had instances where, you know, from talking with Blake or from talking with other people in the space that I trust, they've said, you know, like your time on ice, I think is too low. I think that's uh, that's a problem. You should look at your time on ice and I go back in and I say, okay, yeah, I can see where they're coming from. I think they're actually right. I think I should bump up my time on ice projection here by a half minute or 45 seconds or whatever the case may be. And that changes my projection. What I'm not gonna do is come out to the end and look at my Chris Letang projection here, which is one of my more contentious projections of the season and see that it says 63 points and think to myself, hmm, that's a high projection. Um, A lot of other people around the space are not projecting Chris Letang for 63 points. I should just bump that down just to be safe. That's never something that I'm going to do. Having said that, you know, uh and this kind of leads into my next point here is that a projection is merely a starting point a projection should not be a be-all end-all you just read down the list and take the next player by the projection on the screen that should not be the way that you're using projections if you are using projections in that way then i think you're using projections wrong um, and the reason i would say that is when i look at chris letang and i talked about this on the on the uh, projection review series with Blake as well, is when I look at Latang and I see 63 points, that's because my base assumption is that Latang is on the top power play unit in Pittsburgh all season long, um, and Eric Carlson is actually a net boon, basically, to that power play over the players that could be in that spot you know, the Ricard, Raquel, or whoever might be the fourth forward that would normally be used. So I'm anticipating Chris Letang to be on the top power play with Eric Carlson and for it to be basically Crosby, Gensel, Malkin for the vast majority of the season as the three forwards. And that's a really good power play unit in my mind. And so that leads me to think that Chris Letang can hit 63 points. And that's the way that I projected it because that's my assumption of how the season is going to play out. Now, having said that, there's obviously more downside risk to this than there is upside risk. So I think you really need to think about each projection in terms of a range of outcomes. So the range of outcomes for Latang is obviously pretty big because there is a chance that uh, Carlson is just the top power play quarterback. And they say, you know what, Chris Letang, uh, you can be the second power play quarterback. And the second unit in Pittsburgh doesn't get used all that much. And Latang ends the season with, you know, like seven power play points, uh, which would be um, 15 less than what I've got him for here. And then, you know, he's all of a sudden down to 48 points instead of 63 points. And, that's a big difference and you should not, you wouldn't be pretty disappointed if you drafted Letang expecting 63 points and you got 48 points. That's not a scenario that I think is super likely to happen. It's not the base scenario that I've projected here, but it is a potential scenario that could happen. And when I'm drafting in my drafts this year, I am going to bake that in uh, to my drafting a little bit. How much you want to bake that in depends on your evaluation of that risk, right? Um, I could tell you that I think it's 70% likely that uh, Latang is on power play one for the vast majority of the season, along with Carlson. That could be my uh, percentage outcome that I could assign there. And that would mean a 30% chance that, uh, yeah, Latang only gets, you know, whatever it is, seven power play points this season. And there's probably some range in between that you should also consider where he's on and off the top power play unit. These are the kinds of things that you need to think about for yourself and you need to weigh for yourself uh, in these scenarios. And you need to decide where you're comfortable with because yeah, with Letang specifically, it's uh, there's a lot more downside than there is upside from this number. And so you might think of another player uh, around him like a Zach wereensky, where Warensky might actually have you know a little bit more upside beyond this if everything goes really well in Columbus and that top power play unit with Goudreau and line A and Warensky and everybody is all just absolutely clicking. You have a breakout season from Kent Johnson. Um, you know, there's an upside scenario for a guy like Zach Wierenski that might not be there for Chris Letang because I've pretty much projected him for the best deployment possible. And we pretty much know that, you know, Pittsburgh's not going to just suddenly have a massive, uh, massive season. Like Crosby's not going to just take uh, a huge bump in points per game at this point in his career. Neither's Malkin, neither's Gensel. We kind of know what these guys are, right? Um, so in that case, you might look at Worenski, who I have uh, projected fairly similarly, at least in terms of points. And you might think, uh, you know what? Maybe I'm going to go with Worenski over Latang just because there's actually some positive upside to Worenski, where there's mostly downside uh, risk with Latang. So. Uh, regardless of your personal take on each individual situation, this is something that you need to be thinking about with each and every draft decision. You need to be thinking about the the upside case and the downside case for each player. And that starts with this base assumption, and that's why you need to understand the base assumption of the person doing the projections. And the last point that I want to add in here is that I really do value upside over safety uh, when drafting and drafting based off projections. So early in the draft, you'll hear me say, and I do believe this, that definitely you want to draft kind of for floor early. You don't want to be taking wild swings early on because you think that some player can absolutely go off and hit 120 points this season, even though they've never done it before. There's just not a lot of... A lot of upside to doing that because all the players that normally go in the early rounds are very safe bets to do so. So, to take a big swing on a player in those first few rounds doesn't make a lot of sense. There's a lot more downside risk in the first few rounds than there is upside risk just because all of these players in these first few rounds do have, like, they're expected to get all the deployment and to uh, have really good seasons. And so, by nature, they definitely have to have more downside risk. So, you want to Definitely uh, draft a little bit more for the floor early on. You want to be safe with your first few projections, probably your first three rounds or so, and get yourself just that consistent core group. But after that, you need to start asking yourself, can this player exceed their projection by enough to be a difference maker on my squad? And this is because, in my mind, difference makers help more than the disappointments hurt. You know, you're going to be constantly optimizing your squad throughout the season regardless you have the waiver wire you have trades you're going to be working your team all the way through the season it's a long season you're going to find additional players to help your squad throughout the season you know even in the cuckoo and tier three i added jared mccann off waivers last year right there's going to be opportunities even in deeper leagues even in very good leagues there's going to be these opportunities to add significant players to your squad And so you'll be able to replace the disappointments. But what you can't really do is to add in more upside for the players that you drafted if those players never had that upside to begin with. And so that's why for me personally, I like to give a little bit more credence to the players that I think have a chance to actually go above and beyond the projection that you see on the screen. And that's going to be different uh, for every person You'll hear me uh, talk about the players that I think have a good chance to exceed their projection. You've heard me talk about a number of those already. You'll hear that from all the other guys, from Josh, from John, from Blake. You'll definitely get lots of that from us here at Apples and Genos, but I think that's a key point. You want to value the upside over safety. When you get to the late rounds, it's all upside at that point these are players that you're really happy if they stick on your squad the whole season so there's really no sense in being super safe Um, there is uh, some level where you know you shouldn't draft all players who might start the season on the fourth line uh, just because they have some perceived upside you want to have a starting lineup you only have so many ads per week you know don't go too crazy with this but definitely uh, value the upside more than you value the downside the further you get into drafts that's going to be all i'm going to talk about for the projections here and why you might be using them wrong to date hopefully this brought you some value helped you get a little bit better at fantasy hockey today many thanks to the band there there for supplying the music for this podcast be sure to check out their spotify as well that's it folks much love (laughs)